Hello you, welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today we are talking about Gremlins 2. We're talking about it with the fantastic Alyssa Onofrio. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I will soon be joined by my marvelous co-host, Sarah Marshall. Gremlins 2, The New Batch, is a 1990 American black comedy horror film. It's the sequel to the 1984 film Gremlins, which we covered in uh, December of last year, because that's a Christmas movie. As we discuss in this episode, this is the perfect Halloween movie. Alyssa Onofrio, uh, a.k.a. Chompy, is a professional social media manager and host of Extremely Online. Alyssa is also previously of Crypt TV. Alyssa and I had already been in touch here and there, but when we covered Gremlins, she was like, I am a Gremlins 2 scholar. Please let me come on and talk about Gremlins 2. And uh, here we are. Cannot wait to share our conversation about it with you. How are you doing? How is it going? How is everything in your world? Let us know at YouAreGoodPod on uh, Twitter, which is bad, and Instagram which is a place that we are posting more reels with highlights from our episodes, uh, new and from the past. You can also find me, Alex Steed, on TikTok, where I'm doing the same, sharing the same types of videos. Uh, and we're also on Blue Sky at You Are Good. Find us at any one of these places. Let us know how you are doing. And don't forget that you, my friend, are good. You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies is made possible with and by your support. Thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon and Apple Podcast subscriptions. Your dollars make the show that everybody listens to possible. So thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. And in exchange, you get bonus episodes. We have a new one about Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which is a conversation with our friend Maris Kreisman. It's up there right now. And then uh, there'll be an even newer one coming out later in October. So Thank you for making the show possible. Thank you for uh, putting some dollars behind a thing that you enjoy. We all appreciate your support. All right. I think that is it for this week's introduction. Short, simple, sweet. Welcome to Spooky Season. I have a link to all of the movies that we've covered that are perfect for Spooky Season listening. We cover horror not just in October. We cover it uh, throughout the year and uh, maybe worth listening to if you're trying to uh, figure out what to watch this month. All right, without further ado, let's talk about Gremlins 2. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. I don't know how Mogwai say hello. They say... This is a very musical movie. It is. Tell me more about that. Today we're seeing a movie that I think should be shown in like elementary school, like choir and music ed classes, <laughs> because it takes yeah. you through like Bach, Gershwin, a bunch of other stuff I already forget. <laughs> Slayer, Faith No More. Wow. Old Blue Eyes. Right. <laughs> This is a very important film whose importance, I think, gets overlooked. And it's also part of a batch, if you will, of movies such as Die Hard, Sliver, Demons 2, and one of the poltergeists, I forget, that are about terror in a high rise. That's what we were afraid of in the 80s and early 90s. It sure is. Terror in a high rise. We are so lucky to be covering 
Gremlins 2, which is a movie that I have the warmest feelings about and is in so many ways a foundational text for me. Mm. But I haven't seen this in such a long time that in revisiting it, I was like, this might be the perfect Halloween movie. Yeah. It covers all of the Halloween vibes and feels it's very well balanced with regard to all of the things that it's doing it's family friendly in that demented 80s way yes <laughs> that makes you question how we mean family and friendly it's scary but not too scary it's spooky but not too spooky it's, and it's wet it's wet it's funny it's horny it's everything we are looking for mm -hmm. in the proverbial spooky season and Alyssa, hello tell us about you and tell us about why you brought us gremlins too who are you yes i brought you gremlins too i personally am a gremlin myself um i used to work at a horror company called crypt tv for uh five years now i'm doing my own podcast called extremely online a podcast about the internet but i am obsessed with horror movies i'm obsessed with gremlins i grew up with this insane film series and um i, I needed to talk about it <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so you grew up you grew up with this movie Alyssa, and uh you think that this is like a defining text for you probably this oh yes i also love the scream series which is also about sequels so i just i love a sequel and i love a meta reference self-referential anything and this movie i feel like was doing meta before meta was a thing. Mm -hmm. And Joe Dante famously did not want to do this movie. Hmm. Um, and Warner Brothers was like, please, please, Joe, please, you have to give us more gremlins. And he's like, okay, but you have to give me $50 million and I will go absolutely insane and you will allow every minute of it. That is really uh. what this movie feels like. <laughs> and I'm, I'm obsessed with that. Totally. I have a really special fondness in my heart for movies that are the fruit of a director making a movie that made a ton of money and the studio being like, please make another movie. You can do whatever you want. And the director is like, I can do whatever I want. And the studio is like, yes, seriously, you can. And from that, we also got Todd Browning's Freaks. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is, a, this is like a very 20th century phenomenon. This is not a thing that I feel like happens very much anymore. Because people don't get carte blanche anymore. Because also, uh, Exhibit B, Heaven's Gate. <laughs> yeah. This is a perfect way for companies to lose money. Yeah. They, so they did not make back the budget of this. They made about $41 million in the, in the box office. So um, not even making back the 50 mil. But was it worth it? Yes. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I think it was, a, it was ahead of its time. I think that people didn't understand it, but it was also making fun of the critics of the first movie and all of the problems mm -hmm. that people had with the rules and all of those things. So this also makes me think that this movie is kind of like one of those Neil Young albums that he did because he was under contract but was really annoyed and he was just like fine here's technically an album and so it was also <laughs> done to like avoid being forced to make another Gremlins movie and that's really exciting to watch yeah it really is I was gonna say this is very very Sarah Borelli's of Joe he's not gonna write you a love song but he will <laughs> go absolutely batshit on Gremlins too yeah, the, I mean, the thing that's so fascinating about this is like as a thing that was made for all of the reasons that you both have spoken to, this has no right to be as smart as it is. Like, it's brilliant. Like, line for line, I feel like it's it's incredible and sort of like what it pulls off is really brilliant. And for a throwaway 
not a throwaway. I mean, obviously, like he took that fifty million dollars and he put it on screen, but he could have really slept through it, and he did not. Everything is a gag. There are gags on gags. There are things that are there just to be there, like acid do not throw in face immediately gets thrown in face then we get a phantom of the opera sequence oh, what is happening yeah who did this i think this is the first time too i've noticed that when and we're we're getting into the weeds we'll go broad in a second but this is the first time that i noticed during the new york new york scene the camera is showing us going down the stairs and we get the Trump stand-in guy. He's in it. He's in a cardboard cutout with his arm around the Statue of Liberty, but the Statue of Liberty's face is a gremlin. <laughs> and like, just like in movie, how did that happen? In the real, and like the reality of making it, how did it happen? They sent some gremlins up to the print shop and made it. <laughs> some of these gremlins are like working at this party. <laughs> Joe didn't want to make this movie because of how difficult the puppets and everything was mm. in the first one. So that, that was kind of why he's like, I don't even want to get into this. But they convinced Rick Baker to do the puppeteering work by allowing him to have some creative control over the character. So that's why we see all of these different variations of Gremlin is because Rick Baker was like, I'm not signing on unless you also let me go absolutely ham on these Gremlins. Perfect. A truly a perfect storm. Sarah Marshall. Oh my God. Yes. I have a question for you. And that question is, mm. what is Gremlins 2 about? Gremlins 2, before anything else about it, let's describe it this way. Gremlins 2 is a movie that co-stars... Julia Sweeney and Christopher Lee. <laughs> and they have a scene together. They're not just both in the movie. They like directly work together. <laughs> and if you don't know who both Julia Sweeney and Christopher Lee is, like that might mean that you're not in the target demo for this movie, but you'll still probably <laughs> like it. <laughs> That's it. That's the vibe. Yeah. So it really, right? And like, okay. Gremlins 1, we did an episode about it previously. It is a movie about Hoyt Axton buying, <laughs> or actually stealing after he is not allowed to buy a cute little fluffy furry guy voiced by Howie Mandel from a shop in Chinatown in New York City. And of course, because this is something that comes from the mysterious orient as this movie would describe it it's magical and strange and scary and so the roles with mogwai which are very cute and they sing little songs and they're just like great is that they can't get wet they can't eat after midnight and they can't be in the sun the sun will kill them if they get wet then little baby versions of themselves will spring out of them like succulents and then <laughs> if the babies, which are like kind of misshapen photocopies of the original Mogwai, if they eat after midnight or get wet, they'll become gremlins. Yeah. Them's the rules. Yeah. And I think that Joe Dante directed the segment in the cursed Twilight Zone movie where the guy is on the plane and he yes, sees he a gremlin on the wing. Yeah. And gremlins kind of like their lineage, right, is like World War II era, like when equipment didn't work, you were like, well, there's a gremlin in there. Yes. So these are those gremlins and they're back. They sure are. And they, they're taking over a small town, much like Salem's Lot. And one could ask if one wanted to be tiresome, what is the gremlins plan? But like, why the fuck do they need a plan? It does. It's like the Joker. It doesn't have a plan. Their plan is to drive a snowplow through Dick Miller's house. They want to watch Snow White. <laughs> Yeah, to watch Snow White. 
that's it <laughs> that's their whole objective <laughs> relatable <laughs> so yeah they just want to like terrorize the town and have a grand old time and we have of course famously in this movie jerry goldsmith's gremlin rag which goes how does it go everybody it's fantastic and the protagonists of this movie kind of are Billy, played by Zach Galligan, who's a real fucking moron. <laughs> he steps up a little bit in this movie. <laughs> yes, I feel like this movie is like Billy's redemption. <laughs> and so he and his love interest, what is her name? Phoebe, Phoebe Cates. Cates' character. Oh, um... I just call her Phoebe Cates. Phoebe Cates, yeah. <laughs> he and his love interest, Phoebe Cates, like really fall in love while they're saving the town from those gremlins. And in this movie, we flash forward to like, it's interesting to think about how far in the future this is supposed to be because Dick Miller is just getting over his snowplow experience. <laughs> so like, how I would say that's maybe like two years and not six years. Yeah, I can't quite tell how far in the movie the future is supposed to be because like, they all experience a very traumatic event, but they're really dancing around what it was. They're like, you remember? And it's like, yeah, we certainly remember. We all remember what happened. Yeah. And Billy and Phoebe Cates, which is what we're calling her, have moved to New York City to try and make it in the go-go 80s. Um, and they're working for Mr. Clamp, who wants to build giant high-rises everywhere and is a gaudy egomaniac. I wonder who he's based on. <laughs> and he tries to get Mr. Wing, who is the owner of the Chinese curiosity shop that we saw in Gremlins 1 and who takes care of Gizmo, who's our lead gremlin. Mr. Clamp's associate, I don't know, squirrely guy number one, comes and tries to get Mr. Wing to vacate the premises that doesn't work but he's at death's door anyway he's got a bad cough he's got the nicole kidman moulin rouge disease i guess <laughs> and he doesn't last very long and then gizmo is a mogwai on his own in the big city and he's picked up by some guys who work for christopher lee's animal research cloning and splicing facility which is located in the clamp high rise and so the premise of this movie basically is that Gizmo is taken into the clamp high rise where Billy and Phoebe Cates work. Billy finds Gizmo. He's like, Gizmo, we're reunited. This is so nice. And you're like, oh, it is so nice. Think of what Billy and Gizmo might do together. Oh, the fun they could have in New York. A mogwai in the city. But no, it's not to be because Gizmo goes out to explore while Billy is being taken out to dinner at a chic Canadian restaurant by Haviland Morris, his predatory girl boss. Where they clean the fish right in front of you. I love that. <laughs> Wild restaurant. Oh my God. So while Gizmo is unattended because he does love to explore, he gets wet, a bunch of like little baby marble mogwai pop out. They turn into gremlins. They eat a bunch of frozen yogurt, and then the next day, after hibernating and fully gremlinizing, they take over the building, and our good guys have to team up to take it back. And that's really the movie, and Mr. Clamp has a redemption because he gets to like help save his building and then promote Billy at the end, because capitalism does work. <laughs> but really, it's all about the ride and like what the gremlins get up to. It's the best. Yes. 
for sure. And then we have all sorts of adorable little asides, seemingly based exclusively on Rick Baker's insistence that there are all different kinds of gremlins. And then they're given, they, they're reverse engineered rationales for existing. <laughs> yes, including the one voiced by Tony Randall. Yes, brain gremlin. <laughs> There's a gremlin voiced by Tony Randall. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, I didn't know Tony Randall did little noises. But no, he's the smart gremlin. He ate brain juice. Doing an unintelligible accent. It's like kind of Australian, but then it goes into something else. You're like, all right, Tony, just go for it. We love this for you. Go for it. Go wild. (laughs) Oh, my God. I only recently realized that Tony Randall is a lifelong heterosexual. And I found that shocking. I think Tony Randall had a child in like 1998. (laughs) So he's a committed lifelong heterosexual. Damn. (laughs) I like it that men have this compulsion to have babies when they're like 80 years old. They're like, why not? Let's have a baby. Why not? Why not? And for my last act of absolute negligence. (laughs) Yes. I will have a baby and then die. What are so where should we start? Sarah, where's a reasonable place to start in talking about this movie? Oh my god. Well, okay, let's start, Alyssa, with something I know to be important to you, which is the character of Greta Gremlin, who I believe appears at like over an hour into this movie, and who I think is every man's nightmare, a sexually confident woman (laughs) and something fascinating about this movie is that the ending of it similar to trading places uh robin hood men in tights is that one of the villains is punished by basically submitting to the romantic attentions of a lady that we're meant to find unattractive as viewers but what's great about this ending is that the like henchman who ends up in Greta Gremlin's snare sightline yes. <laughs> snare. She's the only one who survives. Oh yeah, that's right. She's the la- wow. She's the last remaining gremlin because they all get melted horribly. They all like even Brain Gremlin, who we just saw talking about how he's like, we just want to be civilized, just like you, and then we see him like melt into the worst horrible steaming goo, yeah. and you're like, oh. And what are the implications of this? <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, oh, no, he was talking. <laughs> but Greta Gremlin lives and we see her like zero in on this henchman who she's going to give a big smooch with her giant puppet lips. And we see the henchman decide like, yeah, I'm into this. He's like, yeah, all right. Why not? Let's do this, Greta. They're already playing the end of the world tape. It's all going down. And then the movie ends. <laughs> That's the end of the movie. And I love that. I I find it very affirming. I'm being serious here that yes. this guy is like, Greta Gremlin is attractive to me. She is. She's so cute. I love her. She apparently did not have a name when they were filming. So I don't know when she was named Greta. And yet it feels so right. It's perfect. And yeah, tell us about your, your relationship with Greta. Uh, So I cosplayed her recently for Midsummer Scream. So I made my own prosthetics. Um, I had my girlfriend airbrush me in body paint and um, I became Greta for for the con. And I got stopped a lot of times. Uh, All kinds of fans, people, they love Greta. So she is definitely an icon. 
the gremlins, I don't know if they're genderless. I don't know if they're all male, but I think that Greta is canonically trans since she drinks the the girl juice to become Greta. Oh, oh girl juice. Wow, wow, wow. Because they're all injecting themselves with like the, the one becomes the bat. Of course, Christopher Lee made girl juice. That's amazing. I had no idea. <laughs> and that is, this movie is, I didn't know how the movie would get better in conversation, but that's great news. <laughs> Good for Greta, you know? But yeah, she's she's my favorite gremlin. And yeah, she has her little leopard print outfit. Oh my God, she, had th- she has three outfit changes. She has this red dress for the song. She has the wedding dress at the end. Where'd she get all those clothes? Yeah, who made all these clothes for her? We are going to make Jordan Peterson hate this movie. And that's oh important to me. And that's what we're here to do. Greta will do what the green M&M did for Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Greta took hormones. Greta drank the girl juice. She drank the girl juice. Greta drank the girl juice. <laughs> Is this going to be your single? It's so Greta good. drank the girl juice. <laughs> <laughs> There's something really interesting about how, and I would love to hear about this because this is something you have experience with, Alyssa, about... I think that there are like a lot of characters who like when they originally came out in the movie, like Greta, like Greta, right? And to Sarah's point, like the way that that character is presented, is it supposed to be like kind of like, it's funny, obviously, but it's it's scary. It's like one of these monsters. And then I think like over time and its adoption into cosplay where those characters kind of like become partly human, it justifies finding those characters attractive. <laughs> oh, they get well they all get rule 34. Like everyone becomes internet porn and right. everyone gets pornified since 2015. I feel like the vibe of I want to fuck the monster is very much in the zeitgeist. Like The Shape of Water, mm. I always say this, The Shape mm-hmm. of Water one best picture. Mm-hmm. That's about fu- that's literally the text is she fucks the monster. <laughs> and the monster was made with a sexual butt. <laughs> it's true. It really went where the fly didn't. The fly needed that. (laughs) There's also something like wonderfully Freudian about the fact that like probably like kids were introduced to this movie. Right. And it's like before you had attraction to like adults, you had attraction to things that were like in your imaginative universe. And I think like not adults, but to like to humans is what I mean. <laughs> yes, yes, I feel like yeah, Greta is one of those characters like Gadget from the from uh... <laughs> Rescue Rangers. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Ooh, Gadget has a whole cult surrounding her, I'm sure. so like that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, people get very attached to the, these um, fictional cartoon women. <laughs> yeah, that's fa- it's truly fascinating. Well, I'm glad that our character, our henchman, was. 32 years ahead of the curve and finding Greta interesting. It's just nice that it was consensual. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Remember how Trading Places ended up with the principal from the Breakfast Club, like with a gorilla? (laughs) I certainly don't, but I'm glad that you do. Well, that's what happened. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys, you've seen the Key and Peele sketch, I'm sure. Oh, Yes. No. Oh, Sarah. Oh my God, Sarah, you are in for just the most delightful treat. It's called the Writers' Room, and it's the it's the sequel Writers' Room, and it's Keen Peel with the Writers' Room deciding what's going to be in the Gremlins Two movie, and <laughs> it's just them going around thinking of all like I I want to throw one in there, a uh, salad Gremlin, and they all go crazy. <laughs> Sarah, it's it maybe the best like movie related sketch ever made. <laughs> 
Yeah, this is going to be a formative experience for you. And then um, Joe Dante has responded to the video saying that's exactly how it happens. So <laughs> it's factual. It's all in there. Why, why don't we all actually go around and just talk about things in this movie that we enjoy? <laughs> it's probably the best approach. Yeah. Alyssa, what is yours? What's the thing in this movie you enjoy? <laughs> There's a couple. Okay, first, uh, I'm going to start with Bat Gremlin. Bat Gremlin going through the wall, forming a bat symbol. What? <laughs> and then he gets dipped in cement, and then he goes and becomes a gargoyle. What? Yeah. It's just bits. It's just bits on bits. <laughs> We're just going absolutely wild. And I love a bit movie. I feel like people either like or don't like them where it's like a movie feels like a lot of it is just like individual little sketches and jokes. But I really like that. I'm upset. I feel like this was very formative to me. I feel like this um, developed my sense of comedy of just like doing insane things for the bit and just like, yeah, stacking them up, just doing as many as possible and seeing like, okay, hopefully one of these is going to make you laugh. Yeah. I Well, speaking of that, I love the ambitiousness of the effects in that because we have a flying gremlin which looks kind of reminiscent of Q the winged serpent my favorite low budget monster movie and we also have a couple of scenes where we see gizmo like dancing or running and it doesn't look great but they did it (laughs) but it's great but i'm glad they went for it yeah you're glad to see it you're like oh That kind of puppetry is incredibly hard. I don't know how they did it. I mean, it looks like they're doing some kind of like in-camera effect or Mm. something. Sarah, what are some of your favorites? Well, that was one of my favorite things. But I'll say also, Alex, when we were watching this this morning, you texted me, I bet you like that microwave cooking show lady. And I was like, (laughs) I do. I love her. She mentions processed cheese food. I love processed cheese food. I love that it's called cheese food. That's a real thing. When you get like that crock of cheese spread from like, I don't know where, wherever my mom's family orders those Christmas packages from, but like Hickory Farms. Yeah, exactly. It'll say processed cheese food. And you're like, as long as it's cheese food. I think that really describes the entire movie is this movie is a processed cheese food. God, yes. It, and like you either want that or you don't. And if you want like a nice slice of actual cheese, then like too bad. Go somewhere else. <laughs> Go somewhere else. Go to any other movie. Alex, what's what's something you love? I, I mean, I can't. Again, I this is so baked into me in a lot of different ways, but I just hadn't seen it in such a long time that like, A, the last time I saw it, Donald Trump wasn't what he is now. Yeah. He could have been remembered. <laughs> by people as the spokesman for the big New Yorker pizza. And I would have thought of him fondly. I would have thought, boy, did I love those big New Yorker pizza ads. They sure made that pizza seem really big. What a lovable goon. Totally. Like some of the best movies from this era were send ups of Donald Trump. And I appreciate that they were doing it. So I, I really enjoyed that. But then also just that like, all of the horrors of this movie are just the horrors of capitalism. (laughs) Yes. All of the issues are like this like artificial convenience that no one asked for that ends yeah. up just like ruining people's days and lives. I love the building speaking yeah. to everyone in the like, welcome to the men's room. <laughs> Have a powerful day. And we're still talking about smart buildings. Like we're still yeah. talking about automated buildings. We're like, you know that thing we've only ever made horror movies about? That could be good, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, Chopping Mall, we're gonna do that. You know, Smart House or whatever yes. the Disney Channel original movie was called? 
worked out great in that house. Let's get Katie Seagal to do the voice. <laughs> and even like even the stuff that I think that you know we criticize Gremlins for with regard to it's even if it was parody, it's the text of the movie is ultimately an extremely xenophobic, really sort of scared uh, movie. And this movie does a great job of I feel like addressing a lot of that. Like the villain of the movie ultimately is through this like expanded corporate gentrification going to get rid of gizmo's owner's shop and then is going to turn it into and again this is one of the things that it feels like it was it was commentary on the first movie is going to like absorb chinatown into what it is and it's going to say it's where business gets oriented like it itself feels like it's like okay we fucked up a lot in the first movie and let's acknowledge a some of those ways but then b the ways that like corporations do this mm -hmm. i was really i again i was like incredibly surprised i would love to know more about i don't know i'd love to know more about the thought that went into this movie because again like if it's just a like a 50 million dollar fuck you it could have <laughs> just been a showcase for cool looking gremlins and had no thought behind what it was saying, but it really feels like, and I think like- Joe had a lot to say. Yeah, I think like Dante is like kind of notoriously a, a classic lefty artist guy, but he really went for it. And all of the things that they're sending up in this movie are things that we're still living with, but worse down to the fact that the villain became our president. Yeah. Wow. And uh, there's also a lot of Ted Turner DNA yes, in yes, Mr. Yes. Clamp. Yeah, because we have like, Tonight's movie, Casablanca, now in color with a happy ending. Right, right. Because because the Al Lewis stand-in character, the guy who is not Al Lewis but is playing Al Lewis, he says that he, wa they, he wants to play more of the classic movies, but the owner only likes color. Okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, they, I, that's such a great point, Sarah, because like all of the places where I was like, uh, as a Trump send-up, this doesn't work because this guy's bright in some occasions. Right. And occasionally, even though if like doing the right thing is third on his list, he's trying to do the right thing. Those are the ones that felt like maybe they were more Ted Turner than Donald Trump. Or he's like aware of the concept. Yeah. It's also, I think Turner Networks actually had an end of the world tape that they were going to play <laughs> in the event of nuclear Armageddon. Right. So it's just so funny to think about like, you know, this is a concept that seemed like it would have been very much in the air during the cold war. And to see this parody to something that like, it was like, yeah, they were really going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> rather than you know it's like it's funny because i like the alternative which is i think is it dawn of the dead that opens where it's just like all of the shit is going on but we have like two guys in a tv studio just debating debating yes that's yeah i love that too and they're so fucking pissed <laughs> I love end of the world media speculation. Like, what's it going to be like? <laughs> We're doing it now. We're just making TikToks. That's what's happening. Yes. <laughs> um, who are some of your favorite gremlins? Mm. Besides Greta. Oh, I have a fun story about the spider gremlin. Um, mm. I, I have a friend of mine who was one of the special effects artists on this movie. And so he was involved with the spider gremlin. That's the gremlin that gets set on fire. So gizmo is the shoots the flaming arrow inspired by rambo yes inspired by rambo which i also love i love that gizmo discovers television and then he's like nick at night hbo <laughs> <laughs> but spider gremlin got set on fire and apparently they had to rebuild this entire prop because the first time they did it it was a, a pro sfx guy and then his his assistant who was like hey do you think that's maybe uh too much 
fire gel and the guy was like hey shut up kid watch this and then it (laughs) engulfs the whole thing burned the whole thing down they had to rebuild it from scratch apparently of course that's great news sarah do you like did you notice that there's a humphrey bogart gremlin (laughs) i did not i feel like this this movie becomes fairly overwhelming at a certain point i have to say I want to see this in a theater so it can really wash over me. Did you know that there's a different theatrical interruption than there is on the VHS tape? No. No. What is it on the VHS tape? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So. And and by the end, can you tell us what the interruption is, too? Because this is so great. Yes. In the theatrical version. There's a moment when Billy and uh, Christopher Lee are, are arguing in Splice of Life and then the screen kind of gets all weird, like the film is is going weird and it turns out there are gremlins in the projection booth and then <laughs> the film attendant has to go into the theater within the movie, get Hulk Hogan to yell at the gremlins, stop messing with the projection booth that everyone came here to see, a family film. Um, so that's the theatrical version. Yeah. Uh, however... Joe did not. He was like, "Well, you can't. It's they're going to be watching at home on VHS. There's no. It's not a theater at home. It's got to be different." Hmm. So the gremlins interrupt it, the VHS by messing with the VHS sticky. Ah, the tracking gets fucked up or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then the gremlins start flipping through channels and they then they run into John Wayne, and so they have a full. There's a full shootout scene with. John oh my God. <laughs> Or John Wayne's like, you gremlins better stop doing that. (laughs) And this is like exactly the kind of thing where like, I feel like you could only do pretty much if you were able to do whatever you want. Well, I feel like the significance of, and I love that that's different because it speaks to this thing I was thinking about where it's like postmodern criticism in the arts like had existed for like 20, 25 years by this point. But like we weren't necessarily like Joe Dante makes this, then we get New Nightmare, which is just one of the best attacks of sort of like a postmodern approach of what happens in reality versus what happens in fiction. And then we get Scream, which is kind of the best. But I was thinking about like why this is happening. And I think like so much of this is because of videotape. It's like because of videotape and wrestling, right? Like Hmm. videotape means that like you can, it's not, you're not just like watching the text in the theater one time. It's like you're watching it. You can rewind it. You can actually have a relationship with where you fall in the narrative. And then it's perfect that we get Hulk Hogan because there's like no better entertainment foray like popular entertainment foray into like breaking the fourth wall than professional wrestling is at this time so like there's so and then cable like the ted turner cable piece like we're Mm -hmm. speaking to what's going on in the media at that time and then like what is happening to narrative as a result yeah and yeah it's it's just the whole movie is complete commitment to the bit so I have here the Gremlins 2 novelization, which also has ah! the interruption, which is also different in the book. I know you're not a book podcast, but there is. Please uh, read it. We must hear it. There, the novelizer, Mr. David Bischoff, Esquire, has been successfully waylaid and is now tied up in the bathroom of his Los Angeles apartment. Do not <laughs> attempt to adjust your book. <laughs> we have control of the programming. Oh, my God. That's so good. What do you think, if they had gotten loose in New York City, what do you think their agenda would have been? And I guess it's still possible because Greta is going to have some babies with that guy and 
they're gonna be half human half gremlin oh man that's the gremlins three sequel we need is <laughs> yeah the the, the gremlin human <laughs> hybrid babies they get into the city by way of giuliani getting elected <laughs> oh my god uh. <laughs> maybe they did get into the city that's how they terrorized the city from there on out. Maybe we're living the future where gremlins got into the city. Truly. Okay. I know that we're, we're sort of, we've danced around this at this point. Not danced around, but touched on this here and there. But like, why does this movie work? The movie loves and understands the gremlins. I think that's why. I think if the movie was like, ah, gremlins, I don't even like these gremlins, it would be one thing. But as far as I can tell, like this movie is excited to give the gremlins more to do. I think that the energy of the fuck you just like is like <laughs> rocket fuel. Just the middle finger to WB is like, oh, you really want me to make this? Oh, I'm going to make it so good. It will last forever. And you will have nightmares about this movie because it will never leave. Yeah, he's yeah. got like a real Dom energy about the fucking. <laughs> yes, yes. He's like, I'll yes, make you I regret it, it, you little. <laughs> oh, I'll make the shit out of this movie. Yeah, I mean, to your point about the commitment to the bit, like this movie is a bit and he is committed to it from start to finish. And not once, even the places where like it's like winking at the audience, it's not like winking at the audience like it thinks itself as being clever. It's like we're all in on this. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, yeah. Making fun of the original Gremlins and revisiting all of the bits and all of the criticisms of the original movie. And I also love... Phoebe Cates' bit from the first movie where she, of course, talks about how her dad <laughs> dies horrifically. It's that horrible story. Mm -hmm. um, and then in this movie, she's like, oh, don't remind me about Lincoln's birthday. I just had the worst thing happen to me. <laughs> Billy's like, honey, we don't have time for this. <laughs> Poor Phoebe. I'm glad we cut it off because it sounded like it was going to be real bad. <laughs> yes, Phoebe needs adequate therapy. Phoebe, don't worry. In 10 years, people will start taking therapy moderately seriously. And then you can finally talk about these things. But only when Oprah recommends it. And it's a bald guy who yells at you. I'm just thinking about why this movie works. It's like, it feels like it's like 50 pounds of movie in a 30 pound bag. You know? It is. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Right? And th again, thinking of the fact that like Elvira's having her heyday at the, or Elvira has had her heyday and it has a continuing heyday when this movie comes out. Again, we get like the Al Lewis sort of like movie host kind of stand in. This is like a, a tribute to the love for B-movies. Mm -hmm. Down to the inclusion of Christopher Lee. Right, down to the inclusion yeah. of Christopher Lee and, and sort of like all of these various either cameos that we get throughout the movie or like nods in bits like you said we have a phantom of the opera uh not i'm not saying phantom of the opera is a b movie but this is like this is the movie that like an eight-year-old horror fan from the like 50s or early 60s right. who like grew up in that time would like grow up and then be given 50 million dollars this is a gateway movie yeah yeah i think that's what i i love about this movie and all reference humor is that it gives people a gateway to something that maybe they didn't know about. Like mm -hmm. one of my first horror experiences was watching the Simpsons shinning episode. I had never seen the shining. <laughs> Mine too. So I remember being a kid and watching it with adults in the room and they're all laughing and pointing out different parts and the things that they're references to. And I'm like, I don't get any of this, but I will because I'm going to find every single reference and watch every single movie. And then I will know what the adults are talking about. <laughs> and so I feel like yeah. it's very much one of those movies. Like, well, I want to figure out what what's Joe really think about the industry <laughs> well and this is kind of what i mean with regard to like the import of home video and cable at this time is that it's like prior to when you could 
own movies or rent movies or see a movie replayed on a channel all the time, you know, you can make like one or two references in a text, but you know, they would have to be very obvious references for people to get like, they're like in the zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. But if you then have a situation where everybody is watching media, good, bad, highbrow, lowbrow, you know, it's, we're saturated in it. You can then up the amount of nods that you have in your movie Mm -hmm. for people to like understand what you're talking about. And this in so many ways, like this movie feels like, like flipping through channels because you're getting different references and different genres and different tones throughout the whole thing. And it makes Mm -hmm. sense that again, like this is happening at the office of someone who among many other things is a cable mogul. (laughs) It is like flipping through channels. Yeah. I love that. And it feels like this is the beginning of cable as a big part of American media and something that like, because I think cable technically existed starting in about like the early 80s, but it was something that only crazy rich people had. Yeah, I think it launched. I think CNN launched in 79, mm. which I think was sort of around, you know, that itself was representing sort of like what was mm-hmm. going on in like cable at that time. But yeah, it didn't right. reach a saturation point in any real way until the late 80s. Yeah. And then cable being suddenly and this was something people talked about a lot. And rightfully so. It's like. What's going to happen when we have like 50 channels to switch between? And it's like, well, I got news for you, buddy boy. (laughs) What's going to happen when everyone is a channel? Oh, no. Now we, yeah, now we have infinity channels to switch between and they're all people or they're like weird, you know, Romanian content farms where some (laughs) woman with smudged lipstick is playing with kinetic sand. (laughs) Is this a channel you watch? It's a lot of channels. <laughs> I, did we mention yet the Looney Tunes of it all? No. <laughs> Chuck Jones came out of retirement really? to direct, direct and write that intro and outro segment. Yeah. Isn't there a Looney Tunes episode with a gremlin? And it doesn't obviously look like one of these like super scary gremlins, but it's something that has like a similar ear shape, et cetera. Like it feels like it's perfect that it kicks off with bringing in Looney Tunes and opening in that way because like this is live action Looney Tunes maybe the closest we get until Space Jam unfortunately so Furbies did you know that Furbies were based on gremlins and that they um, had a settlement out of court about it what (laughs) yeah that makes sense though well especially in all the parts in this like where I feel like this happens more than it happened in the first movie where they're like picking Gizmo up. Mm-hmm. And when they do, he's just a stuffed little guy. Like he has no yeah. life. He's just there picking up a stuffed thing and you can really see the Furby in him. And then you can especially see the Furby or see what will become the Furby in like the ones that are not quite Gizmo. Like the one mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they bring Daffy or whatever his name is. Yeah. Yeah. That like Phoebe Kate's actually brings home. Like he has like, you can almost hear like, the whirring of the mechanics in him when he moves around. Um, <laughs> by the way, I know that I've talked, I think I've said this on uh, prior episodes, but one time Sarah was on a National Geographic documentary about like what the 90s was like that I think has aired or maybe not or is, is airing. I don't know. It's because I'm one of the only survivors of the 90s who can remember it. One of the only survivors. She went on <laughs> and I got to go to the taping. It was very fun. And they brought out a Furby for her to interface with and she cried immediately and it was the best. Yeah. <laughs> I just never thought I would hold a Furby again. 
Sarah, I'll have to bring you one of my Furbies next time. Uh, <laughs> next time you do a show, I will bring you a Furby to hang out with. I need to do like a show where it's just me and the Furby and we're, yes, playing, we're doing yeah. a doll's house or something. I love that. And I'm Torvald. <laughs> oh my God. I wonder who made, I wonder who else, it must have been Warner Brothers. They must have made a good deal of money on that, uh, that Furby payout. Out of court, seven figure wow, settlements. Wow. wow. <laughs> and I think it was just like a, hey, that's, um, hey, uh, and they're like, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> you're right. And here you go. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Our bad. Our bad. Honestly. Sorry about that. <laughs> Alyssa, were you a spooky kid? Um, I was spooky, but I was also very scared. Yeah, me too. I was scared of all scary things. I used to close my eyes on the haunted mansion, but um, I was upset. But like, I would force myself to like watch these movies and I would be upset like I loved the mask I loved mm. Space Jam I loved this movie but yeah seeing the gremlins melt oh my god and still the, from the first movie the mm -hmm. pool scene and the sound that happens oh, yeah. when the gremlins oh. are all in the pool that haunts me and I think in this movie the spider gremlin they use a cicada sound and so I've, mm. oh, I'm scared of spiders and now the cicada sound makes me think there's it but it's not it's not a spider they just did that because it's a scary sound now it makes you think a three-foot <laughs> spider is coming out <laughs> sarah what we've talked about this here and there but mm -hmm. but i don't i don't know how much on the show like what was your relationship with spooky stuff and then how did when did it go into scary I was the most easily scared child in so many ways. Like I slept with a nightlight until I was like 11, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Alyssa, I was just thinking when you were talking about, do you remember the thrill of being over the age of seven and watching Are You Afraid of the Dark and the like TVY7 logo comes on and you're like, oh shit. This is for big kids. <laughs> Yes, that and um, when my parents would watch TV and they would watch like the X-Files and stuff, I would um, I was supposed to be in bed, but I would crawl on my belly into their doorway and I could see yeah. the TV from the up on the wall from the doorway. So I would lay on the floor and just yeah until it was too scary and then it would crawl back to bed. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I had that relationship with like the theme song for unsolved mysteries mm. that's a classic kid memory is like running out of the room when the theme yeah. for unsolved mysteries starts playing and in a way nothing in life is really quite as spooky as the theme for unsolved mysteries makes you feel like life is going to be <laughs> it's scarier but it's not as spooky it is it's a it's really a feat of the synth that soundtrack yeah. is <laughs> incredible i have that on vital <laughs> I love it. Nice. I like how much like just thinking about like all of these things that we're describing, which is a very particular experience where it's like stealing glimpses or like, you know, it was around in particular places like your parents are watching the X-Files. I remember my father, I, I don't think he was consciously watching it. He might have been just like asleep on a chair and the TV was playing like a, a, a TV version of Nightmare on Elm Street. And like that's mm. like the mm. second place I saw Freddy outside of the cardboard cutout at the video store. And like so like all of these things where you would like get these little glimpses of it. And then as a result, like the 
totemic power the memory of that like little sliver of the thing would have mm -hmm. you know like like mm -hmm. the unsolved mysteries theme oh, yeah. song is a perfect version or a perfect thing or you know the scary slice of um are you afraid of the dark and those mm -hmm. then just like occupy your brain and become ghosts in your brain <laughs> <laughs> this is also one of the movies that uh i think it was my cousins who showed it to me originally and my cousins were a little bit older than me so it was one of those things where like they were like oh we're gonna we're gonna make you watch this scary thing and see how you react like we know you're littler than us but we're all gonna watch this <laughs> right when we're gonna watch you respond to it like yeah fucking... yeah we know what's gonna happen yeah. but you don't and we're gonna see what you do well and now it's a thing that's like i know sarah that you and our friends chelsea and miranda will like watch old episodes of are you afraid of the dark and it's like mm -hmm. you're mining that experience you're trying to like get close to that mm -hmm. weird you know liminal space is almost like an overused thing but it does feel like the liminal space of like your youth and terror and joy and ecstasy all in one place it's like using one of those head massagers you're like <laughs> trying to trip a certain wire <laughs> and then when it happens you're like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that's that feeling of, of fear that, that's like recreational fear. Recreational fear. I'm going through right now. So I noticed on the drive to Koreatown several times at night recently, I thought I was hallucinating while I was driving because I kept seeing fucking Reagan's face from The Exorcist, like in the oh, dark. Oh, right. Yeah. And it turns out it, I wasn't. It's like an actual just very well-placed poster on a bus stop because there's a there's a new Exorcist movie coming ah. out. And Ellen Burstyn is in it. So it's like kind of like a continuation of the first movie. And I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it. But I want to pitch that instead of whatever they did, they treat it like gremlins too. And just, you have all these little possessed children that are acting mm -hmm. in the spirit of the gremlins. And they take over a high rise. And they take over a high rise back to the eighties. Yeah. Why don't we have high rise horror anymore? There are plenty of high rises and a lot of them are vacant, which is pretty creepy. Yeah. I would, I would very much welcome a new high rise horror. Right. Downtown LA. Hello. The building I live in is only six and a half stories and it terrifies me right that's pretty tall yeah add 50 stories can you talk about the lovely sign in your elevator Alyssa's seen the sign too the, my elevator really hedges my elevator <laughs> doesn't do anything to make you feel good it looks like it's made of cardboard on the inside and it says something along the lines of like if you become trapped in the elevator, do not panic. There's like very little probability of running out of air. And it's like, there's actually zero probability of running out of air. And it also adds that there's very little chance of free fall. And it's like, but you know, yeah, you could suffocate and then free fall and break all your bones. But you probably won't, but you could. I wasn't thinking of either of those two things, but thank you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I know people have phobias or whatever, but I'm not thinking of losing air or free fall until I read a sign that tells me it might not happen. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Yeah, it's like those ads for medication that are like, the risk of death while possible is low and then talks about all the ways you could die while it shows like a woman going to her son's play <laughs> i want to ask Alyssa what what is your pitch for gremlins 3 oh my god i mean i i mean it's got to be greta's world it's got to be greta's the, the greta mm. babies and then what's greta doing does she get her own channel on the network is it a fashion show i love it and it's like this episode or this movie 
came out in 1990. So we could argue that like at this point, reality splits and Greta kind of decides what the 90s are about. And then we proceed from there. Yes, that's yeah. what I want to see. There is a great comedian, Nick Lutzko, who has a song about the gremlins and he has a whole... Um, his song is, there should be gremlins in Jurassic Park. There should be gremlins in every movie. Why aren't there more gremlins? Amen. <laughs> they really should. I'm fully on board. I want to make sure that um, it's known that there is a gremlins animated series that exists yes. now. And it's called Gremlin's Secrets of the Mogwai. It goes back to um, 1920s Shanghai. It has a 100% rating oh on Rotten gosh. Tomatoes. Although I know I know Rotten Tomatoes is <laughs> there's questions about its validity at this point. But the um, as 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was like developed by all of the people who are involved in the show, and then it brings on sort of like a, a, a whole new cast. And I I believe. It is respected for trying to right many of the wrongs that Gremlins 1 had with regard to its Orientalism. Mm. I'm excited to watch that. I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet. Yeah, I am I'm also excited. And everyone BD Wong is in it, uh, Sarah, in case you were curious if BD Wong was in it. I I mean it hadn't occurred to me, but it is really quite a bonus. <laughs> yeah, BD Wong is in it, so that's great news. <laughs> I think one of the things about the Gremlins that is important thematically and also links these movies to the Terminator films is that they also exist to remind us of our over-reliance on technology. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, because that's kind of how they wreak their havoc. And this skyscraper is so vulnerable because it's a monument to technology and to the idea that technology can take better care of us than we can. And the answer is like, that's not true. You know who we need? Dick Miller, not technology. <laughs> And uh, I, I do think that that's a pretty great message, that technology is only as useful as the intents of the people who created it and the abilities of the people who maintain it. Well, it is the phone system. So he uses the phone system oh, yes. with the electricity gremlin to eventually end the whole loop. So he uses technology to his advantage to shut it all down. Oh, shit. That's true. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I guess that, yeah, that, yeah, I like that theme. So we, you need like a person on the other end of it. This is an incredibly important movie for everyone who's involved in uh, further uh, AI expansion to watch and ignore. <laughs> 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 well, we know that Gizmo's dad dies at the beginning of Gremlins 2. Oh, no, that's true. And he's, oh, and he's wearing an armband because he's in mourning and he says, armband. I'm glad that Gizmo is back where he came from after the first movie because there's so many implications or whatever. But at the same time, Gizmo returns to that shop and just lives in a little bamboo cage, which I feel like isn't great for him. Maybe that's like his crate, you know, where he yeah, goes to yeah. relax. His and comfort place. Yeah, he's crate trained. Yeah. He's crate trained. Yeah, you're right. That's even better. That's what I choose to believe about Gizmo. That's way better. Yeah, we know that Gizmo, uh, his dad dies at the beginning of this movie, or his father dies in the beginning of this movie, who, in your uh, view, Alyssa, is the daddy of Gremlins too. I mean, you gave Gizmo daddy status in the first one, and I, mm. I I have to give daddy status to Gizmo again because they pushed him too far. And he puts on <laughs> he puts on that Rambo headband, he builds that bow and arrow himself, and then he sets those gremlins on fire. He's like, I will kill my own kind. I will be a race trader. I don't even care. 
this needs to stop. This movie really goes some places, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> it goes everywhere. Yeah. It's impossible to overemphasize the hold Rambo had yeah. on Americans in the 80s. Not from First Blood, which was a pretty good movie. Yeah, I think this is Rambo 3. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the Rambo like that really per the, the sequel ran it's like sequel freddy yeah sequel rambo is really yeah i believe this ran the rambo sequel was also not supposed to exist so i think that is part of the reference is that it was another sequel that was not meant to oh wow not meant to be i love how like the rambo changed so much that the first rambo movie is not even called rambo it's called first blood <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he's he's so the daddy and like, I think there's a lot less gizmo in this movie than yeah. in the first one. Is that because the puppet was difficult? They just didn't want to deal with it. I don't know if that was why, um, but there are so many puppets in this movie. I can't imagine that gizmo was the most difficult one. <laughs> right. It's the, you're not, they're not making it easier for themselves. Well, it's, it sounds like the, it sounds like the bargain that they made with themselves is it's like, it's going to be, we got puppets. It's going to be difficult. So let's at least make it a kind of difficult we enjoy. Yeah. So what if we had 200 puppets? What about that? Right, right. I love God. We haven't even, I love when we, this is something we don't get in the first movie when the gremlins get wet and you get close ups of their back and you see the little gremlins being formed in these boils on their back. Yeah. In their little, like, yeah, the little, like, gastropod uh, capsules on their backs. <laughs> that's one that feels like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, right? Where, like, you have the, mm. the is that the Freddy pizza one? The Freddy head soul pizza. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. yes Why do yes. I know that? Why do I remember that? It's because it's that's important, Sarah. It is, yeah, it is, and of course, it, five is the dream child, which is completely different. So yeah, completely different. We are covering with uh, our friend Janet, uh, little Janet Varney, with little Janet Varney. We're covering Nightmare on Elm Street three Dream Warriors this year, which I'm so excited about. Everyone, buckle up. Dream Warriors don't want to dream no more. And by the way, for people who are like, but why aren't you doing the second one if you're doing the third? Here's the thing. Fuck First, off. That that <laughs> a and. And then for number two, the, there's the first movie about Nancy. Love it. Second movie, famously very gay. gay. The lead actor in it wrote a memoir or had a, a, I guess, memoir documentary that he made called Scream, comma, Queen. <laughs> and it's fabulous and all over the place tonally. And then the third movie actually follows directly from the first movie as if the second movie didn't really happen. Yeah, totally. And it's 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 also it's just fun. It's fun. We have yeah. a fun time. Uh, that's why we're doing it. There are two direct sequels to the same movie. I'm going to pick for my daddy, the guy, I sent you both a picture in the chat of what John Glover looks like now, our, our stand-in for Donald Trump and, and uh, Ted Turner. <laughs> the Daniel Clamp. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he looks nuts in a way I really appreciate. <laughs> I'm going to pick the, the Trump-Turner stand-in character as the daddy because at the end we get a little glimpse like has he changed is he doing the right thing and he's like oh my god and there's people in there and for a second you're like oh great like it's second or third on the list of things he's concerned with we're like great he's like finally growing and he's like then he talks about how many insurance claims will come from them getting hurt and it's yeah. so good he has very daddy thoughts yes for he's sure. thinking about the insurance he's thinking about for the sure. thermostats <laughs> Right. And you're like, is, oh, God, he came around. Is he thinking about us? He's like, no, he's thinking about the complications about insurance claims. But maybe he'll get there. Maybe that's a step. 
I love this character. This ride this time was big appreciation for this character, and I'm going to pick him as the incompetent daddy. He's really fun. Yeah. My daddy uh, is Heather Haas, I think. H-A-A-S-E. Haas. Hayes. Could go many directions. Yeah. Who plays Yogurt Jerk. Because <laughs> her character is so important. She's just a teenage girl working in this giant skyscraper trying to deal with unreasonable customers and then the gremlins show up and just make it even harder <laughs> what a day i care about her what a day what a day <sighs> Ugh. i hope everything went really great for yogurt jerk <laughs> secondary daddy credit to dick miller's character because yeah. he was able to come full circle realize he yeah. wasn't crazy and he had his hand in the rescue at the end he's like Billy, I, I sure hope you're right about this. <laughs> this is his dream warrior, Sarah, as we get him back in That's the sequel. That's so true. Put all of the trauma from the first movie to good use. I mean, I think this movie is like, it feels like it cares about the gremlins and about its characters. They do pretty satisfying things. Like this movie is not huge on the concept of character arcs, but they do happen. And like, I think what's nice about it is that like, Joe Dante was like, well, I don't want to do a sequel, like a normal sequel, but I do want to do this sequel is what it feels like. Definitely. Well, Alyssa. Yes. Thank you so much for bringing us Gremlins 2 and knowing everything about it. (laughs) Of course. I've been dying to talk about this. Um, Thank you for letting me corner you to to have this conversation. Thank you for embodying Greta Gremlin for us. Yes. Of course. I literally, I can't wait to wear the costume again because I need to do her other outfits. We appreciate it. I'm playing the (laughs) credits for myself and the Creature Crew is rolling. I'm just going to read some names from the Creature Crew credited on this movie. It's a huge list. Jim Leonard, Brenton Lee Baker, Barry Crane, Mary C. Mason, Celeste Contois, Karen Mason, Karen Westerfield, Chuck Crisafuli, Matthias Olson, Robert De Palma, David Panikas and like dozens of other people. Big creature crew on this movie. They're the daddies too. That's who, that's who yeah, I, w- I happened to be at a friend's party the other weekend and I was like, I'm going on this podcast about gremlins. Uh, do you guys know? And one guy was like, I worked on that movie. I was one of the puppeteers. I was like, <laughs> tell me everything. I know. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of You Are Good at Feelings podcast about movies. Thank you to Alyssa Onofrio for being our guest. Thank you, Alyssa, for bringing us Gremlins 2, a huge, huge favorite. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick for producing and editing the episode. Thanks to Miranda Zickler for editing the episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting via Patreon and Apple Podcast subscriptions. Again, your dollars make the whole show possible, and we appreciate that. It's a smallish percentage of any show is supported by its listeners. So we, if you are one of the people who are supporting the show, we appreciate that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You get bonus episodes, don't forget. You can find us on uh, Twitter, which is bad. You can find us on uh, Instagram. You can find us on Blue Sky. You can find me making clips of the show on TikTok, uh, Alex Steed. I think that's it for right now. I think that's all I have to tell you about. Don't forget that you, my friend, are good 